0: minds and entrepreneurship in the world then you're listening to the right podcast ditch digger ceo we're going to be interviewing ceos and founders who'll be telling their amazing rags to riches stories these entrepreneurs who dominate the industries they serve will be sharing the secrets to their success we'll be talking to millionaires and billionaires many who started with nothing you're going to be mentored with golden nuggets of shared experiences from my guests, whose time is worth thousands and even tens of thousands of dollars per hour I started in the paving business right out of high school. And with no college education, mentorship has been my education of choice. I started over 25 companies in the last 20 years, have generated over 1.5 billion in revenues. My guarantee is this. If you listen to Ditch Digger CEO and you want to be more successful, you will become more successful. The secrets of my success and for many of the world's greatest business leaders will be revealed. Let Ditch Digger CEO mentor you. Welcome today to Ditch Digger CEO. We've got a, a great guest today, Jeff Terry.
1: Um, Jeff is a former military uh, military serviceman that I, which I love to have on. Um, I love to see, see men and women that have that have served us in our military and then gone on, on to use the the lessons learned to to create success in businesses and teams. So uh, that's who we have and and Jeff Terry today. So I'm I'm proud to have Jeff on board. Um, Jeff's with, you know, CEO at a at a at a GE um, healthcare company, and uh, Jeff, welcome, buddy. Thanks for being here.
2: Hey, Gary. Thank you. I too love uh, foreign military. So hua, and hello.
1: Absolutely. I wish I was one. You know, and that's one thing I'll miss <laughs> in my life. I always say if there's one thing I could do over again. It'd be that. And I and I always said that in my business. I started my business 18 years old. And if I if it failed, that was my backdrop. My my brother, my sister were Navy. My grandfather was the commander of the Navy. Um, I was get I, I read all, all about uh, Navy SEALs and and uh, underwater demolition and all that, and I, didn't, I I never had a chance to do it, um, probably luckily, um, but either way, my brother actually went in. He was an underwater demolition diver. My sister uh, was a boiler tech. Her husband also a le- electrical guy in the in, in the Navy. But either way, I, right. I, I love I love service people. I I think it's it's the best thing you can do. And if you can serve your country in the military, you learn a lot of lessons. You, you understand the value of this great country and the Constitution, and uh, it creates better Americans, in my opinion. And so, yes. we want you to tell your story because you're, you know, you're the one that's inspirational. And 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 any of us that haven't served, you think about how we serve this country. Whether it's creating jobs, it's doing a job and serving our customers, um, it's supporting our servicemen and women. Whatever it is, right? There's so many ways we can serve our country without serving in the military. And uh, and we get to look to people like you to to see. Uh, and how we might be able to do that better. So, welcome today, and Jeff. We want we want to get into you and a little bit about you know who you are and and you know you you you've got a great edu- educational uh, uh, past. Want to hear about that? Your upbringing as a, as a as a kid, maybe a little bit about your education, and then in the military, and then get into the nuts and bolts of what you've done to
2: lead in business. Okay. Wonderful. <clears throat> great to be here, Gary. Thank you.
1: And and just you know, uh, Jeff, we have we have Chris on the line, my producer, and we've got Joey, my nephew. Um, I always like their perspective too. If they have a question or something, they throw it in, um, and then at the end, um, they basically come up with what they see as kind of the secrets to success that 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 creates the leadership in you, Jeff. Okay, great. So, so we'll Chris start out. Joey, with, hey, you look, t- yeah, far away. Little, <laughs> yeah, tell us a little bit about your upbringing. You know, as a, as a kid, where you grew up, your family, and all that. What inspired you first to to go get an education, and 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 then or and then the military.
2: Yeah. Thank you. Uh, great being here. But I uh, grew up as an army brat. Speaking of, so I was uh, my dad was career army. He was a farm kid then was a West Pointer, and then did thirty years in the army as a first an aviator, helicopter pilot during Germany during, during the Cold War, and then as a uh, as a tank company and battalion commander and all sorts of stuff. So we moved around a lot: Germany, Korea, Virginia, New York, a lot of time in Kansas as a kid. Uh, and actually, funny. Uh, so when I I grew up in the military and then eventually went to went, join the military myself. And when I got out, I would ask people, hey, you're a civilian. What's it like to be a civilian? How do civilians live? What's the civilian? Because <laughs> I had never been around people who weren't military people. I'd been in that bubble. Uh, so I grew up in that. My dad was a, a farmer. My mom was sort of a New York City girl. So an interesting combination of rural and sort of urban America. Uh, and then ended up finishing high school in Northern Virginia, Went to college on an RCC scholarship at Vanderbilt, which which I loved, and then served uh, a little over four years as a lieutenant and captain in the First Armored Division uh, as a uh, combat engineer. Which that means uh, that mission is putting in minefields, breaching minefields, stuff like that. Loved wow, it. That's,
1: that's that's amazing. So you you went from uh, Van, Vanderbilt then, and then and then into the into the army.
2: That's right. built in an ROTC program, which is, you know, a leadership program, which I have great respect for all the different, you know, there's lots of leadership programs in the military, but I sure had a good experience with ROTC. You know, beginning to teach you how to be a leader and, you know, being a leader isn't about, you know, giving orders and being in charge. It's about being humble and being a member of the team and being role model. And, and uh, you know, I learned a lot, I'm still learning, but began to really think deeply about those things in ROTC for sure.
1: Awesome. How did, did your you your electrical? You got you went to school for electric as electrical engineer. Is that right?
2: That's right, electrical engineer. Um, which was uh, which was tough.
1: How did, that, how did that help you in in the, in the army in any way in in, in, what, in what you did in the army?
2: The thing that I think it te- that I really valued in electrical engineering was uh, the way it forces you to break down problems, which is very useful. You know, you had to start with a high level block diagram at the highest level, and then you kind of unpack each each box within it and build out the detail, which I think is very similar to sort of how the military works in that you have, you know, divisions and brigades and battalions and companies and platoons, and it's all it's all nested together to achieve the mission. Uh, and that was very much the engineering headset as well. That's, uh, yeah, never never thought about it that way, but boy, that makes
1: great sense. Yeah, the structure of electrical engineering and the structure of leadership and at breaking down a a, cha- a problem, right? A challenge and, and uh putting the team together to to, to uh to provide the solution, right? That's right. Uh, that's 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 interesting. So um tell tell us then you're so you're uh, twenty were you twenty one years old when you went into the military what? That's right. Twenty one and and as a twenty one year old, you know, what how did it open your eyes to what it's like? I know you're around the military all your life, but actually then actually being in, in you know engaged in it, tell us how that opened your eyes differently and how you thought maybe of your dad differently and Ah, uh, people you you'd, you'd been around for so long.
2: Oh, absolutely! I, you know, the, being in the military, what an amazing experience. As a, a couple of things that come to mind, one is the funny thing about you have uh, this duality between the officers and the non commissioned officers. So you know, I show up as a twenty one year old lieutenant. I'm in charge of a platoon, but in the beginning, how in charge are you really? You know, there's a thirty five year old sergeant who kind of says, "Yes, sir," but you know, he's really keeping an eye on you and, and making, you know, he's running in more than you are. But there's a great grace that the, that the, the non-commissioned officers show to, you know, to, tr- to treat you as the re- as the leader, even though you're the novice. And um, that structure is you know, not there for convenience That structure is important. Uh, but there's a great leadership aspect in that, and the humility and in valuing and appreciating and understanding uh, the soldiers and the discipline of the soldiers and the career of the soldiers. And uh, so lo- loving soldiers was a big part of it. And what I mean by that is, you know, soldiers are such an interesting bunch, all stripes, all flavors of people, but you know, there's nothing better than going up to a guy at, you know, four in the morning and he's just covered in dirt and oil and he's digging his foxhole or whatever. And he's, like, Hey man, how you doing, man? And kind of by all normal human measures, you'd say, we should all be miserable. And he just looks at oh, sir, it's, you know, they're just so happy and working so hard and so committed. And I uh, just love the soldiers and I, I, in the end, think of a lot about soldiers today and whenever there's something going on in the world is, hey, whatever happened politically, geopolitically, don't forget the soldiers, right? The soldiers. other thing I loved about being in the army was uh, how big it is. And I went to Kuwait with, a, with an armored task force when I was in the army and that gave you a sense of how, you know, we, a thousand of us flew over there, you know, land at two in the morning in Kuwait. The officers are taken away for a CIA threat briefing. The non-commissioned officers draw the equipment. You come back together, you organize the team, and then within about six hours of touching down, you've gone from 1,000 people just in uniforms to 1,000 people that are equipped, that have ammunition, that are in armored vehicles, and that are issuing into the desert as an effective fighting force, Uh, and all the pieces that it requires to make that possible from the aircraft to the preposition equipment to the skills, uh, it's amazing to see it at scale, and I, I learned a ton from that that it'd be quite an it'd be experience. a part of the scale to understand my role. I have to be excellent at what I do. I have to understand what's going on around me. And if we do that, we are able to achieve these really on un- un- things at great scale.
1: Yeah. I mean, and that experience, I mean, what, how long did that last? How long was that? Uh, you, you guys landed about a thousand, thousand troops landed with, with all that equipment and everything
2: else. Tell us, tell us, give us a two minute about that What how that went. So uh, we got all our gear and get up-armored, then you go, we went into the desert about six hours from touchdown to when we leave the sort of assembly area and roll into the desert. You know, and it, this was in peacetime, but sort of between the two Iraq wars. But nonetheless, go into, de- go into the desert ready to fight, you know, a- armored and equipped, ready to fight after six hours with all the different types of ammunition and things that that requires. And then we went into the desert and, uh, whatever that was within a couple hours had sort of occupied our area. And then we sat there for four months or so, uh, going out, patrolling, meeting the locals, working with the Australians, working with the Kuwaitis to, to really rehearse and pre and think about what would we do if Iraq attacked again? How would we see that coming? How would we defend against it? Um, which is a, an amazing experience to do as a 23 year old or whatever, whatever it
1: was. Yeah. Yeah, the logistics of that, like you're saying, that's six hours, the logistics of putting that together and, that, and then having that all ready to go within six hours after landing and, and, and uh, you know, landing all that
2: equipment to those people, right? That'd be incredible. So, and again, I guess it makes me think on the back end of that deployment, you turn all your stuff back in and you, you know, repair it and clean it and all that. And that takes you about three weeks. So I guess as a mental model, it takes you three weeks to put your stuff away so the next guy <laughs> can get in six hours and be ready to fight. But that's the... Yeah. That's the, that's kind of what the military does, right? It really does that routinely, and that's absolutely. Maybe the other thing that comes to mind that I just I share share so many things about that experience. But I love that phrase that they always tell us in the military, which is uh, heroics are great, but great organizations are defined by what they do routinely. You know, it's what you do every day is an organization, how you prepare in the morning, how you execute, how you issue operations orders, and all those the different things that you do. And I think it's it's the same for the hospitals that I serve now where, You know, hospitals run 24 hours a day, and what makes them great is, you know, it's not today at 6 a.m. what they did. It's every day at 6 a.m. they do this, and every day at 8 a.m. they do that. And there's this system of interconnected routine activities that make things go.
1: Well, so let's talk about that. I I feel like GE, a couple of buddies of mine went from uh, the armed forces as officers into GE. GE seems to do a good job recruiting leaders um, out of the military. Tell tell us uh, about that experience. Were you recruited right out of the military into GE, or what? What? How long ago? How'd that go?
2: Yeah, I got out in early two thousand one. Uh, the uh, and at the, the, the time and, and still, but going back to Jack Welch, really in the mid nineties, GE G put a premium on junior military officers hiring folks out of the military, uh, and so I, uh, I guess I. Maybe wasn't recruited, but as I did my search and put my resume in the water, GE had a very, very favorable response to, you know, to some degree, you could argue, uh, you know, less qualified. I have no healthcare background, but I came to GE Healthcare. I have no Six Sigma background, but my first job was in Six Sigma. But the GE filter said, hey, combat engineer, lieutenant, you know, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt that he can learn these things. And I think that GE's had a lot of success with that approach, bringing on early career. Military and and upskilling them in GE.
1: So tell me, tell me about that. Okay, so so you get you get going into into GE. They throw you
2: they throw you into a a, a, a business unit basically, then, or what? That and I came into you, GE that, Healthcare. At the time they called it GE Medical Systems. Okay, and I was and in it, it. It was a great role. I mean, sm, smart of the GE design. It was sort of an internal quality, or like a process improvement role as a first step, but that really almost gave. That people in that team a chance to uh, understand the business, make an impact in sort of a low-risk way, and then, you know, move on to the next job and the next job, which is a great talent pipeline. But every job
1: kind of builds that foundation for you of leadership, right? I mean, process improvement, something you're always going to, you know, be ingrained with the rest of your life as a leader, right? Uh, and and again, every every single thing they're doing is just another building block in that foundational leadership, probably, right?
2: Absolutely. And was it was a leadership track they put you on then? or not? It wasn't. Was know, it's funny. GE does have leadership tracks. The program I was in wasn't one of those formally, but it sort of played that. It kind of acted like that because they ended up uh, bringing in, I don't know, in, in the group I was in, and there's lots of parts of GD, but 10 or 15 sort of young, talented people, maybe half of them military. And we worked in this process improvement shop and then about all those people or many of those people have gone on to have long uh, successful careers which really branched out in different directions but I, that that's sort of the genius of that role is you got a lot of a lot of good folks onto the team and then you could route them
1: sure okay so now, right away they throw you in and they, and they start te- teaching a six sigma right i mean and i i know just a little bit about that you know we looked at we studied that as well my businesses um and and i've got many of my leaders that have gone through all the training and all that but you know, they, what's it, uh, di- DIMAC, or what do you call the that, Maic. DM, right. DIMAC
2: and the uh, and absolutely.
1: Okay, yeah, so so basically, and how much of that, how much of that within that that system do you kind of know from military language? So that, that, you know, define, measure, analyze, improve, and then control, right?
2: I mean, a lot of that's got to be similar stuff that you're taught in the military, right? Yeah, the, I would say the frameworks are different, but the concepts are identical. And, G, and the military is very much about, uh, uh, make a plan and then, uh, evaluate the resources of the plan. So don't you know, if we need to dig a hole that big, don't just sort of wing it. That'll take 12 hours. You say, okay, each truck can take three yards of dirt. There's going to be three, you know, how many trips is that? How long is each trip? How many walk? So really a planfulness that maps well. Yeah. And then in the GE world, it was, uh, sort of the, the concept of bringing the six Sigma ideas into both service activities and the new product design activities which i really learned a lot from that and that carry forward to now which is this intense focus on crystallizing the problem we're going to solve understand the problem before we jump to you know solutioning which is easier said than done but that intense focus on the problem
1: that's i mean so many leaders uh you know come to the same conclusion right so you know follow- Fall in love with with the with the problem, right? Fall in love with the customer's problem, the problem that that you know you have to to solve as a as a provider, you know, somebody serving your customer, right? Um, we had a guy on, a friend of mine from Israel that that uh, was the founder of Ways a few a few uh, episodes ago, and he just wrote a book, and it's it's basically fall in love with with the problem, right? And if you fall in love with the problem, not your solution, because you know solution is a, a singular thing, and it might solve a portion of a problem, but you know, don't fall in love with that solution because that may change and it may get it may be totally different by the time you're you know you're you're done serving that customer. But you just constantly fall in love with their biggest problem, right? And mm-hmm. and uh, it's something that not many people want to do. But if you That's do right, that it's well, it's easier said
2: than done. And I it's funny you say that. I reflect on my time in Six Sigma when you know both Demaic and Demadvi, the the two big Six Sigma frameworks start with D, which is Define. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure at that phase in my, my career I really saw that the way that I do now in my heart, which was defined was almost like a let's define the problem as quickly as we can so we can get onto the exciting parts <laughs> of what we're gonna do. And I think over the years I've that my headset's completely shifted. I spent some time with a, a group in the UK that is a Royal College of Arts deal. I kind of got hooked up with them for some reason and and but they were they do automotive design is kind of their uh, what they train on. And they talk about, hey, if you're gonna design anything for a car you should spend fifty percent of the whole cycle on just talking about the problem. Yeah. And and over the time, the more I've yeah, just you know, like the ways gentlemen that's it. And yeah, that's, that's it. Cool. it? Yeah.
1: cool thing is once you define that problem, sometimes you have to find a problem the customer didn't even know they had, right? If you if you really fall if, if you fall in love with the problem or or finding the problem, your customer actually kind of falls in love with you awfully too, because they're seeing yeah. you caring about their problem more than yourself, right? And, and again, what does that do? That, that, that makes your customer open up to telling you more about their problems. And, and, and other, another problem they may have that you can, they, they can solve later on, right? Once you That's solve right. one problem, it's like, okay, you know, Jeff, what can you do for this problem, right? And what can your team do to solve this one? I, get, I, get it. I, have, I have our customers at Walmart and, and our, our biggest customers in the country come to us and say, okay, how do you fix this one, right? And we're like excited as can be because they're coming to us asking us that question, right? And that means you've got an amazing relationship of trust with a customer that they're sharing their problem with you because they don't do that with everybody, right? I them. mean, if you if you truly can show your customer that you, you really you're in love with solving their problem, all right, they're they're gonna want you. Know, they're gonna they're gonna keep you abreast of any of their issues in the future if once you prove yourself that you truly you know truly are in love with that and you can do it, and you built a team that can do it, right? So, so tell us about tell us about your team now, and and kind of what you know what type of problems you solve for for your customers today, and maybe maybe a recent challenge that that you guys were able to overcome. Um, give us an example if you got.
2: Yeah, for sure. So uh, we've built up this uh, real time AI capability, this business to solve problems related to length of stay in the hospital, quality in the hospital, you know, clinical outcomes, clinical deterioration. And so, uh, and so, some some of the, the problems that that come up are, uh, if you think about the clinical quality, the the C, the radiologist might write a CT report that this patient has an or has appendicitis, and the ED doctor once the ED doctor knows that they're going to schedule a surgery. That's straightforward. But when you really get into the problem, you learn, oh, the ED doctor doesn't know that until he or God. she takes the time to go log in, and then a thing pops up. But that can be two hours where this all the information is hidden, and so the next step step isn't taken. And sometimes that shows up as an inefficiency. The patient stays longer in the hospital than they should. Sometimes it has a bad outcome because we didn't respond as quickly as we should have to a change in condition or whatever. Uh, and so, yeah, that's a nugget, and... and I guess the recent one I'm quite proud of is we're doing a lot of work on sepsis, which is this sort of leasing cause of death, leading drive of, of cost in hospitals. And it's the sort of the same deal where the factors that indicate a patient may have the problem and the factors that indicate how the treatment of that problem is going are changing so quickly that it can be missed and the AI, of course, doesn't miss it. And so that's what we've added is constantly sensing it, so no, we're not waiting on a human to connect the dots.
1: Yeah, AI is a, is a hot topic where, you know, our our biggest valued company today is one that, you know, we, we've been concentrating on how to solve problems in the pavement world, okay? Concrete pavements, asphalt pavements uh, across the country for our customers. And I, I, I was a regional company until I, until I started giving away the best civil engineering I, I could find in the world to my customers. That's how we grew to be a national provider. And then eventually, you know, paving parking lots everywhere in the country. But, but our, our best value came when my son uh, came into that national business of ours as a leader and said, uh, Dad, we're spending a lot of money, you know, giving away this engineering. Our customers love us, but, you know, it's cost us a lot of money, and we're not that fast in, in, in providing the this, this solution. So, so anyway, it was boots on the ground, engineers all over the country to solve our customers' problems, and they loved it because there wasn't much else out there like it, and, and nobody was doing it for free. And our engineering wasn't just you know American engineering; it was global. We're using German engineering and 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 uh, Israeli engineering. It's some really cool stuff that I discovered across the across the globe that I was then bringing to the, my customers and saying, "Hey, here's a better solution than you're going to see from any engineering company in America." Eventually, they started liking us for that that product or that you know kind of that lost leader, right? And so my son came into the business as as a young young guy, aggressive guy that he is. He, and he uh, you know he built, built his own business prior to this, and then came in and we recruited him to to run this business. And uh, within six months, he said, "Dad, we could do this way faster, way better, and for way less money. And our customers are going to be happier than heck with it." And so I you know I asked him you know, tell me more. He said, "Dad, we could we could use drones instead of flying these engineers all over the country. We could use drones. Our engineers can sit in their seats in the office." saving all that money and time, um, probably delivering a product, you know, 10 times faster, at least to our customer, and, then, and for, for, a lot, for probably one-tenth the price. And <clears throat> So sure enough, <laughs> about seven years ago, six and a half, seven years ago, we started experimenting with this, with drones, and then we, we started uh, building scripts for the drone pilots to fly by, right? that our engineers believe were the best routes and the best pictures of those big parking lots, right? And uh, six, six and a half years later, we went from doing, Twenty, or excuse me, fifty million square feet of pavement um, management for our customers, basically managing their their bad jobs, a bad p- pavement that didn't last as long as it should have. Today it, we will last year we managed over five billion square feet of pavement of pavements, so you know big big difference, and and we're doing it all for um, one fifth the price of what it would cost before, and and it's uh, ten times better of a product actually. All use not not today. It's not just building the scripts to fly by. They're all these these drones are loaded with AI, and so the AI has the engineer's engineer's eyes right on the prod on the project in real time through the drones, right? So that prod, that business has gone crazy in value. It was it? was a, okay. It was a service to solve a problem for a customer, has become a business all by itself now, and that business is one of our biggest in, in the Raybank group of co- companies, and probably within three years will be the biggest valuation I've ever true had. True definition.
2: Yeah, it's a true definition of scalability, right? When you get a, it's a better solution at lower cost, so it naturally scales. Absolutely.
1: Exactly. Any, anybody can afford this now compared to, you know, people didn't want to pay for the service unless they really had a big problem on a million square foot property. Now, uh, now a, you know, 10,000 square foot property would say, hey, that's that's pretty cheap. I want to, you know, do my property. Check out my, not, and, and now, Jeff, we're doing not just roofs, we're doing pavements, roofs, facades. <laughs> we'll be doing landscaping. Um, environmental, everything around a building within a couple more years, and it's pretty, you know, it's really expensive. So it's un- fun to see that grow. But again, it's AI. Again, we, you know, h- how do you use this new technology in a way that that serves our customers and in a way that's world class that that other other people aren't thinking
2: about, right? Well, that's it. And our, I'd say, our, our work in this group I lead is called the Command Center Business and so it's like we kind of create like think of like a NASA style command center for a hospital which is sort yeah, of Yeah, let's, the, let's uh, get into no. that. let's
1: get into that cuz that's interesting. I read up about it. So it Sounds really cool. So so tell me tell me how that concept came up and what it does to again, serve your customers better than than prior.
2: Well, absolutely. It came up through problem back design as we discussed. Our first place we did it was uh, well we actually the first one we did was at Johns Hopkins, a, the great hospital in Baltimore. We've done some similar research in Rio de Janeiro where they have a um, a city command center, like for buses and trash. But we spent some time down there and decided, hey, these these same concepts of concentrating information and having some real-time action ability at a central point applies to clinical activity as well. And so that's what we did with Johns Hopkins, um, starting with what problems will we need to solve, and then designing this control point and designing, you know, In a bit like your example with the parking lots, it started as a project. Let's build a command center for Johns Hopkins. Let's design the room. Let's design the practices. And then you pretty quickly get into, okay, so here's the problem we're solving, which is you know we need better awareness who of who's waiting in the emergency department, for example, so we can match resources to get them out of the emergency department when we're when we're congested. And then you kind of get into we went into the thing we call the AAA, which is what action do we want to take? What actor do we want to take? We want to take it, and what Uh, analytic, what information do they need? And that's where it turned out because the information was really the the big gap in most places. So we built the the command center at Johns Hopkins, and then we spread that now into a number of countries and different places around the US. And that means, and I think it's interesting for you, right, It's the, the project became a business, and that means a lot of things, including... Building up the career paths that you need to consistently deliver that everywhere somebody wants it.
1: Wow, that that's uh, that's cool. So you had identified the talent needed to to accomplish this as well. So you, so you built you built one of these and 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 saw the value. Your customer, you guys saw the value. And then were you asked to do more, or did you just say hey, we're going to start marketing this, or how that how that look?
2: Our second command center was actually a dear friend of ours, a, a hospital in Humber, in Canada, Humber River Canada Hospital in Toronto, and that CEO, Barb Collins, actually saw the Johns Hopkins nude. We had worked with her on some other cool stuff years before, and she called, kind of picked. She said, what are you guys doing? I thought I was your partner. I thought we had a deal that when you do something cool, you call me first. So she became our second command center, uh, and, and uh, that Humber River Hospital pushed these concepts further into more clinical problems that we can solve. As you can imagine, I mean, there's no, there's no shortage of opportunity in healthcare. And with partners like Hopkins and Humber's, we've steadily pushed the envelope. on what's okay, the- Okay,
1: Nate. Now, let me go back to one thing you just mentioned, one little thing you said. And <clears throat> I, have, I have friends of mine in business that never seem to get to like a world-class level, right? And they hear me talking about my customers. That one I, I love my customers. They're all very good friends. Most of them are very good friends of mine, my leaders, my son. And, our, and and so, and they they become very very good friends. And some people say, "How can you be such good friends with your customers, man?" And they, you know, they abuse you, they do this. this. And I say, if I can if my customers don't look at me as a friend, right? When they're having challenges, they probably don't come to me as fast with those challenges. When they when they have a problem with one of my crews out there that maybe isn't performing to the level that Ray by company sh- they think should, they probably not tell me about it very fast if they're just if I'm just a number. But being a friend, then I, I tell my customers, I said, I want to be your friend first because i i I respect you i don't want i want i need to learn from you um i said but but if if, and if we don't ever perform to make you look great as a friend you should be proud to say you're a friend of of ours and and if you're not we don't deserve your business if you don't think we're performing at a world-class level delivering you the best services possible then then we don't deserve your friendship and and i'd rather be a friend than 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 just a provider or, or a partner of yours and, and we truly become friends that 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 trust each other, right? And gosh, it's a heck of a lot better relationship. And you said you mentioned that customer, in, in I think you said Toronto, a dear friend, right? I that's mean, right. That, that's what we should be. We should be really good friends to our customers, and we should th- treat them like we'd want to be treated. And good things happen when you care enough. You're not thinking about the dollars. You're thinking about how do we serve them, how do we solve their problems, right? And and they can feel that for sure. When 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 you truly believe that, they can feel it, and you become a dear friend. And I've got so many friends of mine in business that, um, that they don't like, they don't like their customers. Some of them don't like their, their teammates, their teammates. Right. And then, so that's, that's a recipe for, you know, my opinion, you know, mediocrity in many cases. So, you know,
2: I, I love what you just, you know, just said short things Here. and our dear totally. friend of ours. Right. I love that. So no, keep it we, up. I, I totally, I, I completely agree with you. I, we like to, we like to say customer relationships are forever. Like uh-huh. that, 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 that's, and the other thing we like to say is we treat customers, customer dissatisfaction like a home invasion. Like I'm not trying to run some scorecard that we're at 70% customer satisfaction or whatever. Our default is everybody's happy or we stop everything and make them happy. And I like it. <clears throat> and that's and Of course, we're in a business to business. So it's not like we have 50,000 customers, right? We have you know dozens of customers, which are big health systems, each, each bit very big but it just has to be that way given the business that they're in and given the trust that you're describing. That's, right. that's the commitment. You hired us to make you run a better health system and you can trust that we're going to do that in a very authentic way. So, so tell us about the opportunity for growth it, it, you know, in your industry with,
1: with this product, a command center product, right? Tell us about the opportunity for growth. It seems like it's abundant when I think about, I'm, I'm, we do work in the hospital system world as well. Got some really good customers in the Midwest. Um, but again, say, I, I think about these customers. That that's something that seems like a no-brainer to add on to bolt on to any hospital system.
2: Yeah, we think so. The uh, it's always it's sort of the way I think about it is the kind of software that we're bringing into healthcare. You could call a level two software. And It's almost like you could say from 1990 to 2020, very rough. Healthcare adopted the electronic medical record. There were government incentives, all kinds of things happened. But basically, you had this digitization of the basic activities in hospitals and healthcare. And what's happening is, but the problem was, the problem, one problem, is the data that's created is sort of siloed and hard to use. So now you've digitized a lot, but it's hard to connect the dots to harvest what should be a lot of value. And that's where these level two softwares are coming in like ours that sit on top of that and connect the dots and apply the AI. And that concept, I mean, you could say, it's not brand new, right? There are you know dozens of examples of big successes, but there's another 20 year run ahead of really realizing most of that value. And that means getting more and more health systems and more and more places to, to adopt that kind of technology and to to expand its applications from, and what I mean by that is, there's a whole set of applications around sort of operational, you know emergency department access and staff allocation and clinical uh, resolution of issues as well as long-term pathway management and allocation. You know some of these, for example, if a patient's on a certain oncology pathway, you know they they need to have six radioactive treatments, and each of those have to be highly scheduled and have a very precise set of activities before and after. But when the drug is issued, that drug expires in 16 hours or something. So if you mess up one of those activities, this very expensive dose is lost. So there's this whole set of challenges that you know just we'll, we we are unpacking, and others are unpacking, and will be for decades. The net of which is how do we make healthcare more accessible to more people, lower cost per unit of care delivered, and better uh, outcomes for the for, for everyone. So Jeff, tell me okay, okay, I'm gonna have Chris
1: carve out like a a three minute elevator of your your pitch to the hospital systems. i've got I've got uh, four or five friends or CEOs, of hospital systems. some I, i'm I'm partnering with and they're in business with, some I just I'm just friends with them. Um I go golf with them, whatever. Give us the three minute elevator of, of what you would say to them as the CEOs and the leaders of these hospital systems to 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 consider ge's command command uh, concept here.
2: absolutely. I'd start by connecting with more likely that health system is struggling with costs. Costs are up significantly since COVID and there's massive staffing challenges. So they don't have enough staff, staff are taxed. staff are burned out, uh, very different than pre-COVID. Uh, and so the result of that is you have a, a labor cost problem, but you also have a quality problem because like anything, when the team changes, you lose something, right? You get a new offensive line, you get more sacks, you get a new nursing team, you get less efficiency. Uh, and so the, so that's the challenge they're facing. And it's, how do they just get all the work done and how do they make it consistent? And that's where our software makes such a difference because we can surface all the information that's being generated in these level one systems and make it so much easier for the nurses and for the doctors and for the case managers and all the different clinical roles to do their part in whether that's in multidisciplinary rounds. or. And so that's the opportunity for the health system is, can we help you use your data to save nurses time to get the kind of quality re- results that you're already working towards and to get the kind of cost improvements that are becoming acute for a lot of them. I mean, the numbers on the labor cost challenges the last six months are are staggering, you know, $100 sure. million dollar kind of problems, so we can make an impact on that.
1: Yeah, I can't imagine the loss of loss of labor in these hospitals and all the uh, stressed and and it, to creating an ease, like you're saying, and be able to manage it much better with
2: less people is something they all have to be looking for right now. Stole. That's right, and 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 make it um make it possible to unlock some of the the insights in the data. Who's where, waiting for what? Who's in danger? Who's going to be in danger? And also make it possible to be consistent, so that even when on the night shift, it's a traveler who's never been in your hospital before and doesn't know your processes. Even for her, it's easy to do the activity because we scaffolded it so clearly.
1: Awesome. Is there an easy way? When I look at you know, I've been in a couple of hospitals over the last few years, and and uh, when brought brought uh, you know my wife in years you know years ago, and then and then uh, like different friends there and there, and it seems like that that you know you can you can be you can go in there with a, a heart attack potentially or something major happening, and you got to sit through check in, right? You hip if you could just fill this out, wait in line. If you can fill this out, wait. No, the, so I think there's a heart attack going on here, right? I mean. Uh, if you can just be patient, you know, just fill this, and then maybe we're out. There's more people in front of you. No, no, we think this started. To, I mean, again, is there is there something that's developed or something out there that makes that process so much more efficient than it is today?
2: I think a lot of places are working on that, absolutely. And yeah, when when do you? And certainly, they they should have practices for when do you skip the line, uh, and 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 they uh, register you later. Uh, and of course, many of the places have come up with these amazing methods where, you know, the helicopter lands on the roof and there's an elevator that actually opens on the roof and it pulls you right down into the trauma OR. So, you you're wow. in surgery and, and some of those things that are routine that are common now, which even 10 years ago just didn't exist anywhere in the world. And now, you know, Dallas, New York, all the big cities kind of have those. Uh-huh. Uh, and then uh, that cutting the line practice, uh, making sure that we can get patients what they need quickly, e- everybody's working on that. Yeah.
1: yeah. Like, hey, I could help, it there's somewhere along the line, I'm not sure where. Absolutely. But
2: it's, yeah. And it, there's a whole, that question you raise and it, you know, I, I don't have a sense It's been a little while since I looked at it, but it is the classic conundrum of, we ask you to fill in your name and your date of birth 55 times. Why do, didn't I already tell you that? Uh, but I think, <laughs> I, I know folks are working to streamline that all the
0: time.
1: So, so tell, tell us about, you know, Six Sigma stuff. I mean, you're your uh, your business itself is your. Do you have the same core values as GE, the, the mothership, or is there? Do, are you able to have you know different different set of uh, uh, you know core values or or mission statements, all that kind of stuff? Tell us about what that looks like for you in your in
2: your uh, business. Absolutely. So we're um, we're part of GE Healthcare, uh, which is re- actually you're always especially spun out as of January third. Uh, spun out of GE. So for like 120 years, GE Healthcare was part of General Electric, CT scanners, MRIs. And then about a month ago, GE Healthcare spun out to be its own company. And we're a part of that. The vision of the company is to create a world uh, of healthcare with no limits. And so all the values of the company, transparency and leadership, humility, those are also our values within my business unit. And then we sort of have our own values that add on top of that. And some of the big, which are sort of, uh. You know, fit for purpose for exactly what we do, which is professional services and software, uh, as opposed to say device manufacturing, which some other business units are. And so the additive values for us are things like doership, uh, uh, alacrity, cheer, which you know, cheerful willingness. Um, wait, wait, wait! Uh, wait. Use doer doership. You said it's actually our first value. Uh, we we like to say. Uh, should is a bad word, meaning we're not going to all sit around and say what we should do or what we could do or what the world ought to do. We're going to do it right now. So we're defined by what do we do, not what we talk about doing. <laughs> uh, we, we talk about feedback is another big value that we try to embrace, which is the idea that feedback isn't an annual activity, but it's an all the time activity. So it, you know, when you walk out of that meeting and you turn to your buddy and say, hey, the way you opened that, that was great. And they, You really hooked them." Hey, but midway through when that person asked that question i, I thought she kind of didn't follow this part of your answer just really inculcating constant feedback in a in a pursuit of excellence i love
1: it you know feedback and see and, and the feedback loop is so important on the customer side too you're going to find out those challenges they have the
2: problems they have if you're in touch with them on that feedback loop right totally and you have but you have to establish you have to lower those barriers that we want that i want to give it you want to receive it it's a gift when you give it to me so that we get it flowing the other one we talk a lot about is kindness, which sometimes surprises people. But we really emphasize that, you know, this is hard work. And if you're going to be on the ground with a team from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. four days a week and on an airplane working hard, that you got to be kind to each other because everybody else is tired and everybody else is stressed. So we talk a lot about that.
1: I like it. I like it. For a military brat, that's, uh, you know, that's something that you may not hurt as a young kid. No, that's right. They
2: didn't emphasize the kindness so much, but I think it was secretly there from the drill sergeants. I think they meant (laughs) it. It was in their hearts. (laughs) They didn't talk about it much, but it was there. So, and I should say too. I mean, and we also talk about commitment to excellence. And I I think, you know, that's the trick, right? Is uh, we expect to be fantastic for our clients. We and we expect to put in the work to do that. And that's a given, but we're kind to each other along the way. We give each other feedback along the way, um, We show humility along the way. I love it.
1: I love it. Um, yeah, I mean, we, I, I I believe, you know, if you're committed, committed, to, you're committed to excellence, you're, you're in, in a GE, a company like GE, you guys are committed to being world-class every day. I mean, you're a world-class company. It's a natural thing. You join GE. You know, my friends, they're leaders like you there. Um, you know they they're committed to being the best in the world at what they do, and if, if that's that's a that's a message I send to every small business owner across the country that I that I talk to, anybody listens to this podcast, right? You know if you're gonna if you're gonna be in anything, life is short. You're passionate about what you do, and you really want to serve others, right? So, you know be in a, be in, be involved in something that you're very passionate about, and you can actually strive to be world class at, right? Because unfortunately, that I mean, a lot of people do business, but. But a lot of them don't really sincerely strive for world-class. They may not even know what that looks like, right? But if you can, if you can search out and, and, and really, you know, go on an expedition if you have to what companies in your industry are the best in the world, right? That's what we try to do at every one of our little companies. And, and the goal of every CEO is to be world-class. So they have, to, they have to understand what world-class looks like first, right? And then, and then identify that and, and, and really, um, uh, really do a lot of work exper- uh, investigating that. And then say, okay, here's who they are. This is a world class company. Here's who we want to be. Except we want to be even better. We want to do that. We want to do a few things to differentiate from them, even right. Now it may take years to get there. It may take months. It may take years. It may take decades to get there. But if that vision is at least in, in sight uh, with a, with a great team, it'll, it'll get there, right? That's right. I mean, if it, the vision it, it is right. and
2: The values are right, and we're focused, and we're going to move closer. Are we moving fast enough? Well, that's another question. But are we moving in the right direction? That should be guaranteed. And, exactly. and we expect our leaders to role model uh, that excellence, that to show. People, when we say when we say we, we we do great customer service, what does that look like? Well, don't read in the book. Look at the look at the leader nearest you, and you should see it embodied.
1: Yeah, exactly. They better exude it, or they shouldn't be on your. They shouldn't be leading your team if they don't exude it every day, right?
2: absolutely and that's that's another thing i think the military teaches pretty well you know that uh you know that that the officer or the sergeant whoever the leader is is the last to eat you know the first to charge you know all that stuff
1: but you know in the military and, and in government work, work and stuff i see that you know it's hard to hard to fire somebody if they're not passionate about that whatever that ser, servant uh, job is that they have right it's not easy to fire and and i you know i i feel sorry for my friends in government that and you just can't fire anybody, even when that person has no interest in being there and is a detriment to the team, uh, they can't fire them, right? They, they put them somewhere else or whatever. It's a miserable, miserable thing, and, then I, and I, can't, I can't stand that, that so many people have to live in that environment. In my business and in your business, I hope, right, I mean, we, we don't fire easily. It, it's, it doesn't come easy to fire somebody, right? There's, we're, we're pretty upset if we have to fire somebody we know is a great person. But sometimes people just aren't fit for a job and, and, and you don't have a job that they're fit for. You're doing them a service and yourself a service by, by helping them find something that makes more sense for, for them, right? And again, I, I, I see that in, in our business, we have solid core values. And if you don't live by those core values, you're not going to last in an organization, right? And, and I think that that's... That, that, that makes it so much easier to serve our customers serve and serve each other. And I feel other. bad for the,
2: for the leaders. And, I, and obviously you have to do the right thing by people and all that stuff, of course. But yes, there's a high bar and we expect you. And if you're not, and of course, if you and if you don't take action in those situations, everybody else sees that. And then they immediately know these values are not real. This commitment to excellence is not. And so you have to be constantly vigilant. And when you, of course, when you do act, the team says, hey, these guys mean it. And I'm I'm that much more committed. And I'm with you. I feel bad for places that don't have that flexibility because it is so hard to maintain a commitment to excellence with, without it.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, I'm, you know, I'm dealing with school systems in my state of Illinois, you know, just you know, helping out where I can to, to lead. I, I ran for governor recently in Illinois and realized biggest deficits is our education system. And, and when you dig into it at all, you find out that you, know, you can't fire a teacher, no matter how bad they are. I mean, they can do some really bad things and you really almost can't fire them, right? Um, and so, just anything about the, the simple thing of not a teacher not being passionate about the job, and they're just there for their 30, 25 years, and their and their pension, and ever that's a terrible thing. It's bad for our kids. It's bad for you know for the history for for the future of our of our society. And unfortunately, Illinois and many states like Illinois are dominated by by you know monopolized unions. And I, and I I'm not even a I'm a I'm a labor guy, right? I built, built my business through you know labor first. I love labor. I love you know people in labor. They're, they're they're doing the hard jobs that we do in my industry but i can't stand monopolize anything right A That's monopolized right. business that doesn't doesn't do anything to to provide value there's not not many of those out there in my opinion um but monopolized unions are, are 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 the worst when it comes to doing that so and and there's plenty of unions across the country that i see that seem to do a good job actually you know delivering a great product to their customers and i i feel like you know the unions have to do the same thing they have to be challenged to deliver great products and that means in in the school system, educating our kids every day uh, with passionate people, or
2: or get out of the way, go do something else. Right. And I, and there's I like that term, false kindness, in those situations because sometimes the motivation not to fire is we we don't, we, but that person is in a job they don't love, they're not excelling at it. While there is some transition disruption, obviously, in most cases, they're better in the long run by being having you know finding the thing that where they where they're better better suited. False kind kindness,
1: you said, right? Yes. I like that. That's yeah, because so many people follow that. Oh, they're so nice, though. They're they're really they're 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 you know, right. really nice. They really care. Well, you know, if they care though. They'll be delivering results. So if they care, they'll show their passion every day, and everybody around them's going to want to work with them. You know. So you're right. Yeah. I mean, we all have to be compassionate. We all have to love love the people That's around right. us you to be to compassionate really and kind.
2: Part of kindness is is honesty and and transparency. That, that hey, you're not excelling at this and there's got to be, some, and, that,
1: and that's and that's probably one of the toughest things as a CEO, right? I mean, you know, delivering the bad news sometimes is, is a tough thing. And,
2: and but it, you know it's what's not, funny, not you know it's funny on that because I, I I actually over the years, I early on when you had to give those discussions, I was really you, had, you know you kind of slept sleep well. Over the years, my I, my attitude has changed on that. I, I do see it now. It's almost an act of kindness to have that, and you know, set it up the right way and have a relationship, but. I f- yeah, I feel it as an act of kindness in my old age, I guess.
1: Good, good. Especially if you're there to kind of help them find their next, their next thing. I mean, we, it, I do that
2: clearly from a place of we've thought deeply about this and yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think you can often, you can do that. I've got a lot of experiences, experiences I've had, not as many as I'd like where, you know, somebody wasn't a fit and then we helped them find something, you know, fit through an organization that was a better fit and, and, and in the long run, everybody's happy. That's, that's the best when you could do it. Right. So, well, I, so I get I want I want to get the these other characters to throw some questions at you Jeff if that's okay um Joey or, or Chris you get Joey how about you first throw some questions at, at our, our new friend Jeff all
3: right uh hi Jeff hi Joey I just wanted to say thank you so much for serving our country it's uh people like you that has allowed me to come to America and have the freedom to learn and be a young entrepreneur uh one of the things I uh, picked up was uh, being a leader is about um, being humble and taking charge. And then um, another one was uh, electric, electrical engineering forces you um, how to break down problems to bring great solutions. So I wanted to know um, what are your greatest, uh, what was your greatest fears that you had to overcome on your journey um to become a young entrepreneur and uh who are your mentors yeah great
2: question um they're great questions my uh you know i don't know why the fear that came to mind was uh, being in the army and the fear of jumping out of airplanes which i did at airborne school a few times and that was a great experience because when you're standing in the corridor waiting to jump from the plane i at least felt fear i think a lot of people did but then the moment you're in the, in the air and you realize you're gonna not going to die, you feel total euphoria and you want to go again. I want to go again right now. And I think from that experience of airborne school, I, I don't know, it, it maybe gave me some confidence that, you know, maybe fear can lead to euphoria. So fight through it kind of thing. Um, I, I've had a lot of great mentors over, over the years. Uh, certainly, uh, Laurent Dubois was a great mentor of mine. He was a McKinsey consultant who, um. I learned from him sort of a almost a hyperactivity and sort of the idea of the McKinsey guys. It's hey, you're a very high price management consultants, which means when we show up, we're not going to do small talk. They're right to the point. They just walk in and boom, let's go. How's this business again? And then at first it kind of puts you off, and then you realize that's what the customer wants. They're paying a lot of money. They they didn't want you to be milk toast. They want you to push the thinking. And that was a great lesson of mine, um, mine from Laurent. I learned a lot about leadership at GE from a guy named Rob Riley, who uh, was a great leader, and I learned a lot from uh, about building teams and the importance of personal relationships. And I think then I think back to the, you know, so many military leaders that I that I, you know, learned from just the the discipline and the consistency and the preparation. Um, Gosh, yeah, so many so many great mentors over the years. Thank you so much. Thank you, Joey. And, Joey, you've, I may ask, you mentioned that you were uh, newer to America. What
3: was your background? Oh, in general, I'm asking. I've been here for like uh, 16, 17 years. Oh, but yeah. But I was adopted. I actually have a family of 22. So, wow. Yeah. That's great.
2: <laughs> Are you still in touch with them? That? That's great. Yes. Oh, yes. that's wonderful. That big family. That's fantastic.
1: Yeah, he's he's uh he's from Haiti, from like what five years old, right? Yeah.
4: Oh, that's great.
2: Yeah.
4: Yeah. No uh,
1: yep. oh, good, Chris. Sorry.
4: Yeah, awesome. Uh, so uh, Gary likes me to or, uh, keep track of some um, great nuggets of wisdom, or you know, kind of in line with like the laws of success. So, uh, some that I picked up from there were a bunch. Um. Heroics are great, but top-performing organizations have great routines and systems. Understand the problem before uh, trying to figure out the solution. In fact, spend 50% of the design process talking about the problem. I think that's uh, a yeah, um, uh, powerful way to reframe the like <laughs> process. Um, customer relationships are forever. Should is a bad word it's more <laughs> what we could do uh feedback isn't a quarterly or yearly thing it's an all the time thing the leader is last to eat and first to charge and part of kindness is honesty yeah uh, th- thank you so much for spending this time with us jeff where are working uh, our listeners find out more about you hmm. thank you
2: for capturing those things that we have a podcast we put on called the Real-Time Healthcare Podcast, which you can find on on Apple or, or wherever, I guess. Um, and we have a, a nice website called uh, com. And I'm also uh, active on LinkedIn sharing some of the information that we, some
4: of the work that we do.
2: And What's- you know what? It- one other, as you were doing nuggets, and I was thinking in the preparation for this, we had a note that I, worth sharing in the entrepreneur vein, I think, is uh, the people pay for what they want. And what I mean by that is uh, there's sometimes a big temptation to do sort of free projects, but any, you know anybody will take free, that we really push that uh, if a hospital wants something, they'll pay for it. And it's less about making money and more about testing, is it an important problem? You know, if, if they're not willing to pay, it's not important.
5: Good
1: point. Now, I still like uh, your word, doership. That's the first time I've heard doership before. Oh. Is that in the dictionary yet? That's a good question. I don't know. I hope it is. We <laughs> we, we use it, but uh, yeah. It's like a word I use all the time is fantabulous. So people ask <laughs> how you're doing. Fantabulous, right? That's right. And, uh, you know, now it's, it's fun to hear words that people don't, you know, everybody did not always use. I, I like doership. I'm going to use that. And, I, and I'm dick I'm Santa, you know, your, your, your mentality and feedback, um, because I think, it, you know, we learned that in, as we built a couple of technology companies, you know, feedback so important when you're building technology of any type. And then in our, in our services business and paving, mm-hmm. roofing, and all the you know, doors and docks, all things we do, same thing. You, know, you, you should treat the feedback loop just the same, whether you're, you're performing a service or you're building a, a software, right? Uh, because boy, it gets so much. If, if a customer is just used to you, if they like it, right? Some customers don't want to be bothered as, as much, but those customers that that enjoy the the back and forth and use the heck out of them to to uh, you know to help grow a better product for them by by Amen. constantly contacting that feed, constantly and using that feedback loop. It shouldn't be as you said quarterly thing, annual thing. It should be a daily thing. I I, I think that's a big big takeaway that anybody should should uh, you know keep in their keep in their mind because. I think it's made us way better by thinking that way and we didn't always, right?
2: So, and, the, and it's hard. Let me ask. Yeah, please. It's hard. Vigi- you have to be vigilant, right? It's, uh, you see, I can even, I think of sometimes a customer complaint surfaces and you kind of say, no, let me explain to you. But a customer complaint is often feedback that it, I can reflect in times in my career where customers were kind of saying something that only later did I realize that was priceless feedback that we should have grabbed yeah. and put in the product also exactly something they constantly work at So, a big organizations like yours
1: I, I i tell people all the time I and mean, i try to share my experiences and my experience over the last 15 years of value growth in my businesses has been really teaching enterprise value to all my leaders you know what what's the value of our business that you're running or your t- you and your team are running today and what will it be next quarter and what's our goal for the end, end of year and three and five years out right now um, we use that we use a uh, mm-hmm. um this thing called uh it's the entrepreneur operating system EOS, and with that, you know we we always want to know, you know what what are our goals, you know, we, you know what what is the one thing we care about the most? So it's enterprise value, because if we know we're growing enterprise value, then we pro- we're probably growing our, our our quality customer, probably growing our 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 um the value of our customers, right? We're probably you know growing our profits, right? And and creating a more sustainable business that our customers love. If you're not growing enterprise value, then you know what good are you? I mean, Absolutely. how are you a leader? How are you doing a great job if the enterprise value is not growing, right? Better have good, good reasons why. So I ask this, I'll ask this question. To you. Do you guys think about that at all? You're a large organization and a huge organization, right? Does, does your business, are you, are, you, are you charged with understanding that and, and getting your leaders to understand where you're at today in enterprise value and where, where you want to be tomorrow?
2: We are, we do. And there's there's two layers to it because there's GE Healthcare, the larger corporation of which we're a part of their enterprise, our enterprise value, which you can see in the stock market, but that's the amalgamation of many things. And so then we also then look, try to track our own enterprise value, which is a little harder to track because there's not a stock price, but there are data points that enable us to do so by looking at what competitors of ours who are our standalone companies were bought for or sold for or merged for or whatever. Uh, and so we do try to, or not try to. We do track that over time, absolutely. And, we, and frankly, we're 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 proud of it because in this case, it's something that the value was zero in 2014, and and now it's a lot more than that.
1: Awesome. Well, you know what? And that, that, again, I I think any size business. I didn't think that way for the first 20 years of my career, and then I realized that you know the light kind of went off. I mean, I, I knew that that was. You know, I wasn't interested in really selling my business, right? But if you don't build a business down value. What do you sell or not? That's not a good thing, right? I mean, so it no matter some no sense what, of it.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah.
1: Always. I mean, that that's kind of a great, you know, it's a great way to measure yourself and and, and your team, right? As, as you're as you're growing your business, and and it's going to force you to find the best customers in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of saying, ah, oh, yeah, that's we're doing more revenues with more customers. Well, if those customers are 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 abusive, um, uh, aren't aren't your friends? Don't really care about you except you know a low number. You know what? That those revenues don't mean a lot.
2: Right. And totally. So yeah, and it, it, it which always comes brings you back to that that constant challenge of saying no to so many things. Is exactly. by having my moves starting no no, we're not gonna do that. That sounds interesting, but no, that's a distraction, which is a constant a constant challenge to triage Absolutely.
1: As entrepreneurs, we wanna solve all their problems, right? And and you know what? We we have to say, focus on what we're great at and then, then recommend other people for the things we're not. Otherwise, you know, we we fall on our face. But uh Awesome. Well, I, I, that was the last question I had for you, and I and I, I really appreciate you being on today. I Man, you're an awesome guy, and and, and if you want, it, we should touch base. I'll 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 get you in, in, into a conversation with, uh, with Robert, uh, Roberto uh, Trujillo, this uh, neuroscientist that's really doing amazing things to solve the problems of the brain. And you may that. have friends or something that you want him to talk to as well. Just to, you know, I like building networks of friends that work together to solve problems. And you may have, you know, a,
2: a, an outlet for him or a, somebody in your network that you want Go to meet. If, get, if I get smarter on the topic, I may know, you know, Brennan, and immediately have i I'd love that.
1: You're awesome, man. Jeff, it was really nice having you on board. Yeah, today. Gary, you too, man. Thank Great you for stuff. all you do. stuff. Enjoyed. It. Thank we you. We need you in this healthcare world. It's got to get better and better as this, as we, as our, as our uh, um, communities get older and older. We need you, right, to get to get smarter and smarter, faster and faster, and and do Lots everything to, to provide do. these teams of of dot you know. These these uh godsends that are our healthcare providers, these nurses and, and doctors, right? We need to provide them with the best tools so as we get older, they can continue to do a great and job on they, us.
2: I'm glad you said that, just to say, I mean, what motivates me, what motivates my team is those caregivers. They're the soldiers of healthcare. They are they're there every day. People are, and guess what? Every day, people are sick and dying, and every day those nurses are there and there's doctors are there, and that's that's it. Helping those people do that important work that's that's what we're trying to do. It's so so important.
1: Absolutely. Well, Jeff, thank you, thank you, thank you, Jeff Terry, for being on Hingeinger CEO today. I really appreciate it. I'm Gary Rabine, and we're checking out. See ya.
0: If you enjoy this show, please share with anyone else you think will find value here. And please go to our website, DitchDiggerCEO.com for show notes, links, video clips, and more nuggets of entrepreneurial wisdom. Don't forget to follow me on social media at DitchDiggerCEO. CEO. paper routes, mowing
5: lawns, Daddy had six kids to raise. Back to reunite, neighbor, Irvine. Not the words you say They left the universe.